So hi guys, welcome to the Business and Remote Work podcast brought to you by Vishup. I'm your host Crispino along with the co-founder of Vishup, Nilesh Rangwani. Today we have with us uh Erin on the show. Erin is a B2B content marketer and host of the Notorious Thought Leader podcast. So welcome to the show Erin. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. So I'm really excited for this episode as today we'll provide a holistic view on content marketing strategy designed to not only drive traffic but also generate leads and increase your revenue. So let's get started. Sure thing. <laughs> awesome. So Erin to begin with could you start off by telling our viewers and listeners a bit about yourself and what you do? I am Erin Balsa. I'm a B2B content marketer. I work with software companies, particularly sales tech, martech, revops and customer success. So really the entire GTM function. I support them by helping them build content teams, so finding the right people because you know, most of us that have been working for any amount of time know that your people are really what determines your success or failure, right? That's what it comes down to. So getting the right people on board and then content strategy and process. So making sure people are working efficiently so that they can scale. And then execution. I still do a bit of writing, which I love and in my last day job, I was a marketing director and there just really wasn't any opportunity for me to write at that point. My team was too big. So when I mm-hmm. quit my job back in January to work for myself, I made sure to build in time for writing. Awesome, awesome. And now you started your own brand, the House of Bold. Did yeah. I get that correct? You did. Yeah, I recently <laughs> rebranded. So when I launched my business, I was like, you know, at the accountant and he said, "All right, so what do you want the business to officially be? We're going to, you know, set you up." And I said, "I don't know. How about Aaron Balsa Content Marketing?" And I just kind of was like stuck in the moment. And then I went to a bunch of like networking events and I had to put my name and my business name on my name tag. Yeah. And I'm like, "This sucks. I don't want to be Aaron Balsa from Aaron Balsa." So I sat <laughs> down. I thought about what I really wanted my brand to be. Uh I don't have plans to have employees. I'm very happy being a one-person shop, but I still wanted to have a brand and something that really reflected myself uh and something that really spoke to my clients and that's how I landed on House of Bold. That's amazing. So you also have a podcast, right? The Notorious Thought Leader. So firstly, I'd like to ask you why the name Notorious Thought Leader? Like how did that name come up? So first of all, I love Biggie. A lot of people know this about me. Ah, I have a big 5-foot-tall yeah. <laughs> oil painting of the Notorious really? BIG. Yes, I do. So that's just yeah. kind of a nod to my my love of Biggie. Um and yeah. also, you know, it's poking fun at the whole term thought leadership. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. these days set out to become a thought leader. And a lot mm. of them don't necessarily have what it takes to be a thought leader, right? So it's just this trending topic especially in B2B i have a lot yeah. of my clients saying to me you know i want you to i want someone to help me create thought leadership content and i have mm-hmm. a lot of companies that i work with changing their blog to say like the thought leadership blog but if you were to poll like 10 average content marketers and say like what is thought leadership i bet you you would get 10 different answers it's very mm-hmm. misunderstood and i've found through my kind of quest to speak with people about thought leadership and develop my own depth of understanding on the topic. Mm-hmm. The people who typically become seen as thought leaders don't set out to be thought leaders, right? They're practitioners. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
They have their hands in the data and the details, and they're able to then develop these leading thoughts.、Yeah. So. The whole word "notorious," you know, it has a lot of negative connotations, like Connotation, notorious、yeah. criminals. Yeah, so I just wanted to kind of poke fun at the whole concept of thought leadership because it is meaningful and it can help you grow a business, but it's misunderstood. So that's kind of where、yeah. the name came from. Yeah. So actually,、um, you know, when we talk to any PR agencies, you know, public relations, they use this term a lot. I say they misuse this term a lot. You know, you know, we'll make you a thought leader. We'll give you. Stage somewhere where you can, you know, tell people what you do. I never understood it,、uh, Erin. Really, what is thought leadership? So, what is it according to you? So this is funny. So I just launched a newsletter, and the first issue went out today. And I said、okay. in it, if you can't define thought leadership, you shouldn't be selling thought leadership writing as a service, right? Because <laughs> what are you selling? I've seen people say, you know, thought leadership. Can I can I use an AI writing tool? To do thought leadership, of course you can't because that's the complete antithesis of what thought leadership is, right?、Exactly. It's not a robot regurgitating <laughs>、yeah. what's out there. It's new, creative, original thoughts. So I、yeah. challenged myself to not only be able to define thought leadership, but be able to do it in ten words. So a really simplified, boiled down definition. And for me, thought leadership is the practice of sharing original thoughts that shape the conversation. So it's、Got、great. It. If you're out there and you're educating, it's great. If you're out there and you're influencing others, those are important <laughs> things to be doing. But that's not thought leadership. Thought leadership is original thoughts, new takes. It's iterating on the way things are currently done, finding new ways to solve problems, coining new frameworks and disciplines. And by doing so, you're actually shaping the trajectory of your industry. Got it. Hey, Crispino, I got a new title for our blog, for our podcast. This one: Thought Leadership on Content Marketing. <laughs> That is actually a good title, yes. And many would say, even Erin is a thought leader already in the content marketing space. Like I've been following your posts on social media on LinkedIn, and yes, it is very thought provoking, and you are paving the way. I would say for many content marketers out there. Yeah, which is funny because that's something else that a lot of people have said that to me. I've said that to others who I view as a thought leader. I don't view myself、mm-hmm. as a thought leader. I actually think, if anything, I might be influential. Like maybe I have some influence、mm. and I help educate and teach, but I'm not necessarily、yeah. like coming out with new frameworks. I think of myself a lot、mm. as kind of like an investigative journalism,、uh, an investigative journalist, and it goes back to my journalism、mm-hmm. background. I love to find out、mm-hmm. why and to understand things deeply. And that's kind of the journey that I'm on with trying to get to the heart of what thought leadership is and help others that are B2B marketers understand it, so that they can do a better job with it and creating it. It's beautiful.、Uh, so, Erin, I found this on your website when I was going through your profile. You joined the Predictive Index in 2018, and you all increased the organic demo requests by 102 percent in one year. So, how did that come along? Could you tell us a bit more about that journey? Yeah. So, I joined. PI in 2018 as a content team of one, which is really、mm-hmm. an amazing, fun challenge, right? So coming on,、yeah. being tasked with creating process, adding people, building this、mm. engine, really, because they、mm-hmm. hadn't necessarily had an engine. So when I said this whole thing about, you know, oh, I helped increase hand raiser leads, it wasn't just me. I was not a team of one at this point. By this point. 
I had built a content team uh, across that year. I think that we did that and it wasn't right away. It wasn't in 2018. This didn't happen. It took time to build. And this was like more like 2020 into 2021. Um, and by then I had a team under me. I think I had six or eight people at the time. We had a really strong demand gen director and we were working in conjunction as a team, brand, demand, content, working as one. And together we, the marketing function, did this together. This is something that one person's not going to come in necessarily and do this unless you're absolutely, a really small company. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So just yeah. wanted to be clear on that. It wasn't like the Erin Balsa show. It was the marketing team. We put together this yeah. great plan. And so really, I think what we did that was the most successful, we had been really strong with our content. People loved our content. Mm -hmm. We were very lucky to have a really interesting topic that people mm -hmm. really deeply care about, which is hiring, hiring the right people for your team and your company, mm -hmm. managing, how do you get the most out of your people, engaging, how do you engage your people, right? Mm -hmm. So these are really easy to write about topics with endless possibilities. That was good. Mm -hmm. We also had a unique angle. We had, mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning in 2018, I was hired to help launch a, we're trying to create a category, right? We have this new discipline that we created called talent optimization. So we're mm -hmm. not like everyone else being like, here's how you hire. Here are some boring hiring best practices. We're like, yo, here's how you do it with talent optimization. This is new. This is interesting. This is like an endless abundance of content ideas. So we had all those things going for us. However, as many people who might be listening to this uh, are familiar with, sometimes when you join a new company, your marketing and sales kind of outlook uh, might not align with what's currently happening. And so, for example, you might be gating every single asset and then maybe mm -hmm. the motion is, oh, here's an email, here's a <clears throat> phone number. Sales is going to call them and be like, hey, you downloaded this ebook. Do you want to talk? And they're going to be like, obviously, no, I just wanted to mm -hmm. read this ebook. So that is kind of what was the motion at first when I first got there. And again, this was going back years. This is really common still back then. A lot of people were gating every single asset and that was just something mm -hmm. that had to change because we all know at the time content was our number one lead type. So people loved our content. Mm -hmm. They were filling out the forms to get it. We call them and they would not be ready to buy. So the conversion mm -hmm. rate from, we were considering it an MQL. Like we're qualifying you because you gave us your information, even though you maybe just downloaded yeah. your first ebook. So that was e obviously yeah. needed to change. Um, so mm. we realized that pretty fast and we mm. built an interactive learning center mm -hmm. so that people were not forced to give their information so that we were inviting mm. them to give their information if they wanted to. And there was a real mm. lot of value in doing so. So rather than mm -hmm. the value of reading one little ebook that probably mm. could have been a blog post, mm -hmm. they were unlocking all of this content, all of this entire library. And there were interactive courses, there were mm. videos, there were certifications, there were templates. Mm -hmm. You know, you could actually use all these templates in your business right away. That's a lot of value. And what I try mm -hmm. to think about when I work with clients is, would somebody in your target audience pay money for this piece of content? Could you sell this piece of content? If not, yeah. it shouldn't be behind a form. Exactly. So we moved to kind of that mentality. Uh, so we invited people to create a learning account, learn about talent optimization with us over time. 
And that really helped. And we started seeing when we gave them some breathing room and space and time to interact with our content, they were mm -hmm. more willing to then raise their hand and request a demo. Mm, yeah. And we all know that the demo requests close at a much higher rate than when we're calling them first. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Something to learn. I think learn for us. Yeah, yeah. No, I think even Gary V speaks a lot about this in his book uh, Hook Hook Punch. I think I got the name wrong of that, but he talks about giving out free content, uh, adding value to the user, and then eventually asking for a sale or closing for a sale. So yes. I think that's. Similar you know to what, what uh, I liked about this was uh, what Erin just said that you know would the users pay for this content only then you hmm. should put it behind a, a blocker or you know ask them an email address did I get that right Erin yeah that's how that's how I think I mean everyone's different some people think you should gate absolutely nothing and that might work for mm -hmm. your business model um, but. A lot of times we have some sort of leads that we have to be generating and it can take hmm. a little bit of time to build the mm -hmm. momentum so that you're getting enough hand raisers. So hmm. this is kind of a smart way to think about your, if you are going to gate, just be sure that you're maybe getting the best content or the right things. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So this is like one of the attributes. So let me ask a follow-up question on that. This might look like a very common question, Erin, but this could be a thought leadership question again. So. <laughs> What are the key attributes of good content or how, what does good content look like or feel like? If I had to boil it down to the simplest answer, it's customer centric. Okay. What do I mean by that? What defines good content is going to be completely different. If I'm creating content for a CMO or if I'm creating mm -hmm. content for an individual contributor who's been working in marketing for three months completely different. The format might be different. The, the voice might be different. The depth might be, well, will be definitely different. Mm -hmm. And even whether I'm going to be leading with an educational piece of content or a, you know, a opinion piece, a thought leadership piece, I'm not going to do thought leadership on marketing for somebody who's an IC who's been working for three months. They're not ready mm -hmm. for that. They're not mm -hmm. ready to have their mind bent and to think about the industry in new ways. They just have to figure out what the hell they're doing so that mm -hmm. they can just do the job that they've been hired to do. So I'd say that good content is really customer centric and not just like the customer, like we, you know, we have a tool for marketers or we have a tool for sales reps. Yes, that's good. But what level are they at? Where have they been? How much mm -hmm. do they know? What do they want to learn? Like for me right now today, like I can't remember the last time I actually Googled to find an answer to something that I do every day with the exception of technology. Like maybe I'm trying to find a technology to help me do this thing, but I'm not like, how do I write an SEO blog? Like how do I make a CTA? Like I was doing that years ago. So yes, hmm. those types of search engine optimized articles, they're not going to work for me today. Today, I want mm. you to really get me to think of things in a new way. Uh, mm. So it really mm. depends. Uh, I can't just like give the best answer for what's good content. It's customer centric mm. and audience centric. Got yeah, it. I think that does make a lot of sense. Uh, Erin, so you spoke earlier about writing a lot of content when you joined IP. So I would like to ask you a follow-up question on that. How did you all distribute it? Like, how did you all get it out there? 
to the right audience like what uh, what methods did you use did you use paid ads or social media to repurpose the content like how did you reach the audience with it so at my last company we worked hand in hand with paid so the team that handled paid ppc and we had a lot of success mm-hmm. with that play especially with like templates and reports and we also mm-hmm. had a lot of um success with retargeting ads so for example mm-hmm. we had someone who found us through a blog and then they read the blog and then they raised yeah. their hand to sign up for our newsletter they mm-hmm. read the newsletter they created a learning account with that learning center that i was talking about they looked yeah. around they looked at some courses and then they kind of ghosted us and went quiet for a while uh we mm. put out a report which we would put out a few a year and mm. we retargeted them and they read the report mm-hmm. and then they went mm-hmm. back into the learning center took some courses and then requested a demo so mm. it's Quite about it. thinking about how you can use content not only to get new eyeballs but to get return eyeballs so people who are already familiar with the brand familiar with the solution how can we mm-hmm. get them back into our ecosystem because those people will probably be the easiest people to to get to buy right as opposed mm-hmm. to starting fresh they know nothing about you they might still be exploring mm-hmm. their own problem and exploring solutions so we always try to think about that as a big motion as well we also did a lot of events so we would have one or two webinars a month and we would do mm-hmm. a lot of uh you know road shows co-marketing a lot of going on other people's podcasts and webinars and going on the speaking circuit and we did a lot of partner mm-hmm. marketing so we used our partners as a distribution channel as well we had about 800 partners around the globe and we would well, ensure that with especially our biggest campaigns we weren't like you have to share every blog post like they they would yeah. sometimes because they find it valuable um and yeah. we found ways to create attribution links so that our partners mm-hmm. even if they were sharing it on social or sharing it with their own newsletter uh in their own newsletter if one of their prospects clicked a link and signed up for a demo on our site they'd get the they'd get the account and the credit partnership yeah yes essentially yeah so that is mm-hmm. another good distribution channel that a lot of people mm-hmm. don't really think of as a distribution channel yeah yeah Hey um I have a question about distribution channel. So um Erin, do you think that it's important to keep yourself updated with a different type of channels? Uh what I mean is say for example let's say at one point of time newsletters were very successful then probably blogs were very successful then probably podcasts are or w- will be successful then there is TikTok or videos which are successful do you think it's important for content marketers to keep updating themselves on the new channels or 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 does it not matter over a long period of time i think yes and no yes you should always understand what is going on so that you're up to date on your industry and so that you're able to understand whether or not this is something worth investing in at the same time A lot of marketers don't succeed because they don't commit to certain strategy or certain channel and they have mm-hmm. shiny object syndrome. They're like, "Ooh, like let's try doing this thing. Let's try this. Let's try TikTok. Let's try Twitter." When they probably would have a lot more success if they went heavy and deep into one or two and did it really well. Hmm. 
And then once、mm. they had proven success, yeah, then maybe we see if our audience is, you know, into LinkedIn Live or if they're into TikTok, for example. And it really、mm-hmm. depends on who your audience is.、Mm. So, for example, sorry, I'm I'm following up on that question. It's for most people, it's obvious that the B two B audience should be easily found on LinkedIn. Let's say,、mm-hmm. but. Frankly speaking, we guys never had much success on LinkedIn. We had much better success on Instagram or Facebook. Why is that? Facebook.、Yeah. Why is that?、Uh, I mean, who's your audience? That makes a big difference, right? Like, where do they spend their time? How old are they? Were they digital digital natives? Were they not? Like, are they、mm. early adopters for technology? Like, that makes a big difference too. There are some audiences that are the next, you know, the next greatest tech. They're going to be in it first because you know they're early adopters.、So、of course, they're going to be on TikTok. You know,、mm, they're they're young. They have a preference for consuming content via short video snippets. Of course, they're going to be on TikTok. Now, the audiences、mm. that I tend to work with more maybe aren't necessarily going to be there right away. Think about. What was that?、Uh, oh my God, I'm forgetting the name of it now. About two years ago, there was that new platform where you had to—it was like audio only, but it was live. You would like go into a room that was a conversation happening, and a lot of people、oh, yeah. that were in my kind of ecosystem—so older people, Gen X, you know, 40s, 50s—some of them were exploring this new platform, which I thought was really, really cool. Definitely was not widespread adoption with、yeah. that population, but there were some that were trying it. Most didn't stay. Most were like,、eh, "I tried it. It's just too much of a commitment for me," which is interesting because a lot of these people. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't want to be talking too deeply about. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. I just、so、can't think I, of the name. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so so this is this is the platform from which I think Twitter copied that those that you know feature、yes. where people would come together and yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I forget the name. <laughs> so that's a perfect example of like so, a few people who are early adopters that I typically would be talking to and selling to on LinkedIn checked it out, and for them it was too much of a commitment. For me, I checked it out; it was too much of a commitment because I have kids, so I can't just be like dialing into a live conversation because my kids、mm-hmm. are going to come in the room and scream. Like I need to do these kinds of things through text, through chat. Or at a time like right now when my kids are at school, I can't just be like dialing into these conversations at night. Now, a younger audience who maybe doesn't have kids yet, or maybe doesn't have like yeah, maybe they can, and that was really popular with that kind of younger subset,、oh, you and they'd be on there all night long. Do you all mean Discord? Discord? No, 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 no not Discord. No. <laughs> I probably、okay. <laughs> still have it on my phone, so let me see here if I do. Yeah. So I don't、Twitter's... know if I ever deleted it. Clubhouse. Twi- Clubhouse. Clubhouse. Yes. 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 Yeah.、Okay. Yeah, yeah. That 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 really you know caught on with the audience in 2020s during COVID time, and then it just disappeared for some reason. But yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. So age, time, what else、mm. they have going on in their life,、mm. all of that matters. You know,、mm. preferences. Yeah. So, Erid,、uh, based on your experience working in the B two B industry, like we are in the B two B SaaS kind of、uh, market, so what kind of content do you think creates the most impact? Again, cus- content that's customer centric. So,、hmm. 
it really depends. Like, so if I'm selling into CHROs, so chief human resource officers, which I was in my last job, they, yeah, you know, they're Something probably not like going to those... be, yeah. So they're not going like, to be Googling. Are... Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. You know, I'm saying our audience as well would be like yeah. entrepreneurs, uh, founders of startups, uh, okay. yeah, that kind of an audience here. Yeah. So super busy, right? Super busy. Probably, uh, what kind of content, content that's going to make their life easier. So what's going to make their life easier? What are their biggest problems? Mm, how, biggest can problems you, is... how can you help them take action yeah. in the lightest lift possible? Right? So I don't know. Well, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what's <laughs> the right content. We do have a great solution for them. Virtual assistants. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah. So like, say, say me, I'm a busy entrepreneur, right? So what, what kind yeah. of content would catch my interest in that area? Um, so I can, I can tell you what I would be interested in. I'm a bit of a control freak. I think a lot of mm-hmm. entrepreneurs potentially they're like, oh, I could never delegate because it would take me too long to document the way I do things or other people couldn't get up to speed quick enough. So maybe some mm-hmm. like really short, interesting stories, like success stories for people like me or people I trust. So like, oh, I know mm-hmm. so-and-so they have a similar business to me. Oh, that's interesting mm-hmm. that they had success and maybe like here's a way to document your SOPs, your standard operating procedures in, you know, 20% of the time Mm. as opposed to just sitting down and typing it out. Because that's for me, like I, when I had a team, of course you need to document your SOPs. You have to document the way you do things that others can follow. When you're a Mm -hmm. one person show, you sometimes you're just like, go, I don't have time to stop and document these things, Mm -hmm. but then I'm never going to be able to outsource stuff that's not documented. So I would be interested in teach me how to do that without sitting down and typing everything. That takes a long time to get everything from my head onto a page. Mm -hmm. So are there any hacks? Are there any tips so that I could hire a virtual assistant? Because for me, you know, there's always, why do people not say yes? Of course, the biggest number one is status quo. They're just going to maintain doing things the way they are, even if it's not great because it's not painful enough to make me make that move. But if you show me, maybe you dig into the pain a little bit, like it is actually painful because if you could outsource this one thing that you do every day for an hour, you could have an extra five hours a week to go to the gym. You've wanted to get in shape forever, but you say you're too busy. You're not. (laughs) If you just got this documented SOP down, you could have a virtual assistant and now boom, you have five free hours Mm. a week to go get your health back. It's like building Mm. those narratives, telling those stories and really, Mm. you know, motivating people to change and making that change as easy and painless as possible. Hmm. Hmm. Got it. So I think it's so, a lot of, yeah, go for it. Talish. So I have a, I, no, I was changing the topic. Okay. I have a follow-up question. I mean, not a follow-up, yeah. just a confirmation. So it's basically a lot of case studies in a storytelling format with product demos. If I understood that correctly. Maybe, maybe not. It's understanding what pain I have. How can you maybe make me feel like that pain is worth solving and show me how Mm. I could do it? So I don't know exactly what the format's going to be. I'm just one person, but say everyone's just like Mm. me. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I have Mm. a lot of friends on LinkedIn that I trust that I think are smart, successful people. 
Mm. I, I, I struggle with documenting my SOPs and that's why I haven't outsourced really barely anything to anyone yet. Mm. And I do bitch and moan and complain about working too much and not <laughs> having enough time. So it's not that I don't want to, I would yeah. if I could solve this problem, but I don't know how other than sitting down for like a week straight and typing everything that's in my head onto paper. So maybe you have some sort of email drip course every day for 30 days. You send me one thing to do today. It's going to take you five minutes a day. Okay. So today hmm. I need to do this thing and that's it five minutes a day. And then by the end of 30 days, I've documented my SOPs and now I can hand that off to a VA and get my time back. Maybe it's that. Hmm. I don't know. Yes. Got it. So, um, I have a, I have a very different question for you, Erin. So, um, you know, the viewers of our podcasts are entrepreneurs, but sometimes they are also a lot of candidates. Um, so there's this question about good content versus average content. So they say, you know, average content is as good as bad content, right? <laughs> so the question is, I mean, I read that, I read that somewhere. So the question is, let's say if somebody is a new content writer, or let's say somebody is an average content writer. Is it possible for an average content writer to become a good content writer or right? What can somebody do to become a good content writer or is it possible or is it not possible? Is it like a skill that you're born with or how is it? Well, I would say that my, my opinion has slightly changed over time, which is good. It's always good to keep your opinions open to open to changing. I always said, yeah, no, absolutely. I always said you either have the natural ability or you don't. And the mm. reason I said that is because I've been hiring and training and onboarding writers for over a decade. And a lot of people just d didn't get better. And I, I felt like I had to, you know, spoon feed them and I would give this really like detailed explanations and line edits. And I just could not get them to where they needed to be. So my mm. view was always. Good people can become great, but mediocre mm. and bad people can never become good. Mm. And then maybe I began to realize maybe it was just me and my teaching style because mm. I have never, you know, I haven't been through a master's degree program to teach me how to teach adults to write better. Everything okay. I know is based on myself and my on-the-job figuring out experience, right? I've been an editor. I was never trained to be an editor. Yeah, I went and took some courses <clears throat> after becoming an editor so I could get better, but like I never had professional training. So maybe with the right teacher who mm -hmm. understands pedagogy around adults and writing, perhaps mm -hmm. they could, but with your average editor and a mm -hmm. startup or a company, hell no, because they're not gonna necessarily it. have that pedagogy mm. to yeah. teach you. They're just going to teach you based on here's what you do and do this better. And why can't you get it? And it's kind of frustrating. Mm. Uh, so yeah. I don't know. Maybe yeah, it's me. Yeah. No, I asked this question because, uh, you know, there are certain professions in which, um, the industry is skewed towards good people. Say, for example, if I talk about software developers, right? Uh, even an average software developer makes it really good in life, but mm. in content, that's not the case in content. You know, the good content writers take up the major, major share of the major chunk of the market and you know, the average ones, you know, uh, still struggle. So that's why I wanted to ask this question to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think anyone can get better, but can some people become like great 
only yeah. maybe with like the right teaching. I, right I found teaching, it very yeah. hard. I found it very hard to get people to great. Mm. Definitely it. get good people to great. That's not hard because they have yeah, that natural aptitude. Yeah. And a lot of yes. it, I think, is like some of it's taste. Honestly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like a lot of creativity is taste. You're matching yeah. up your natural like. You just have it or you don't, kind of, in a sense. Like yeah. you can hear, you can hear the words, you yeah. can see them on the page, and almost like they come to life on the page, and you can say like, "Yeah, this mm, is yeah. good." And some people, yeah. I think, they're just lacking that like taste. Yeah, it's hard to to teach. Yes, that's true. That is true. Yeah, Chris Vino. So, Erin, I'd like to ask you a bit about content strategy now. So, what are the bases on which you create, or like, do you have a checklist when creating a content strategy? What do you look out for? Yeah, I think of strategy in four chunks. So, I think sometimes clients actually aren't really ready for a strategy, and the reason I say this is either you're so early that you're still like in beta. And you're just trying mm. to understand if you have like product market fit, and you don't mm. need some big complicated strategy, or maybe you don't even have enough content for like different parts of the the funnel. And I hate to talk about the funnel because it's kind of an antiquated concept, but let's say we're getting people to understand what this tool is and why they need it and how it could make them have a better life. We don't need to be ranking for a hundred keywords. We don't need to have necessarily SEO be our first. Play. Mm. We might just need the right messaging so that we can deliver it to people that we're having conversations with. So I think that it's first of all understanding: do we actually need like a real, true strategy, or do we just need a couple of a process and a couple of uh, steps that we're going to try, and then we'll kind of build from there. On the other hand, mm-hmm. some people are already creating so much content and it's such a hot mess and they're so stressed and they have like 20 different vendors and they have all these internal stakeholders and everyone's confused. They might not mm-hmm. need a strategy. They might just need to have some process to help them work together better. And then once they're actually working together, they're slowing down, then they're going to have a strategy. So just wanted to to say that like it's not always that you need this huge gigantic strategy mm-hmm. for content. You need a plan. Yeah. You always need a plan. But a whole strategy it's kind of a it's a complicated thing. If you get someone yeah. good it's expensive. Um and if you don't yeah. have the internal people that know how to execute this thing, then you don't necessarily need this gigantic yeah. strategy. If I have some junior mm-hmm. person who just got out of college yesterday, I'm not going to hand them a strategy and be like once a quarter we're going to do a research report and then we're going to chop it up and we're going to they're going to be like what the hell are you talking about like I just know how to write an article. <laughs> So you got to also mm. like work with who you have, take time to get the right people and go mm. from there. So I would say number 1 is goals. So I always start with like what goals we're we trying to achieve and then from there there's four parts of the strategy. Number 1 is planning. So what is our process for planning what kind of content we're going to create? What's our ideation process? How are we going to collect ideas from people across the business? how are we going to collect ideas from our customers and our when i say customers i don't just mean our paying customers i mean the entire customer life cycle so mm-hmm. our audience mm-hmm. how are we going to collect ideas from them how are we going to mm-hmm. automate that so we can do that at scale how yeah. are we going to take our ideas and get them into our you know project management tool 
How are we going to prioritize which ideas we're going to create? How are we going to align that with our product roadmap or our event roadmap? So planning is like a really complicated thing. And a lot of people don't have a process. They just kind of say, hey, what should we write about this month? And that's not a process, right? So helping to, to understand that. And then planning, how are you going to handle content requests? Are you going to be a ticket taking function or a strategic content function? And that needs to be talked about and decided. So here is your resource. You have, you know, two writers and a videographer and a graphic designer. They don't have infinite hours in the mm. month. They can mm. only do X mm. amount of work. So are you going to be carving out, you know, maybe 30% of their time is for taking requests. Maybe 30% of time is for executing the roadmap that you've defined. And then maybe, mm. you know, 30% of their time is left open so that you're able to capture, capitalize on opportunities as you see them come up. Could be trending topics in the news. It could be mm. maybe, you know, somebody on sales is like, I noticed this interesting problem. People are getting stuck on this one thing. Okay, cool. So how can we spin up a campaign in the moment based on that need? So I think mm -hmm. um, the content strategy has to be, has to be planned out. Like, what is that? percentage of, of workload going to look like. And it's flexible, you know, there might be ebbs and flows, mm. but if you don't decide that and make that part of your plan, you're going to end up being a ticket taking function and you're going to be like a hamster in a wheel. This one needs this. This one says they want this. This one needs this. And then you're never truly able to be working in a strategic uh, fashion. Mm. True, true, so that's absolutely. the first part of content strategy. And then, you know, after planning is execution. How are you going to create the content? What kind of content are you going to create and why? What does it mm. look like? What are the steps? So if you're going to be creating reports, okay, that's cool, but you got to bake in the distribution. You can't just like be like, here's a report. Now what? Because what ends up happening, you put it on social, you put it in your newsletter, and then you never hear about it again. So mm. when you're baking in the distribution into the planning process, you know that you're going to create a report in a certain way so that it's going to be really easy for you to chop it up and turn it into blog posts, chop up those blog posts and turn it into a LinkedIn carousel, chop up that carousel mm. and turn it into a Twitter thread. There's all these different ways of slicing and dicing assets. Mm. Um, in the planning phase as well, I also think about the strategic narrative because after working with a lot of clients, I find the same thing happens again and again. Clients spend a lot of money with an expensive agency to come up with a strategic narrative, and then they end up not doing very much with it. When a blog post gets delivered by a freelancer, they're like, oh yeah, uh, can you add some of the strategic narrative? Oh, they ask product marketing. Can you add the strategic narrative into this content? And then you end up having this really shitty content because it used to have a storyline. It used to flow well, but now someone in product marketing got asked to add the strategic narrative, and now it's like this jumbled mess yeah. that's actually like not customer centric anymore. Yeah. So yeah. what a better approach is, is to bake the strategic narrative into the planning process. And that's something that I've developed over many years of, of yeah. seeing that that had to be part of planning. Okay. So we have planning, we have execution, distribution, which again is thinking about working with other teams. So working to distribute things retargeting ads. Are we working with ABM? Are we planning any specific campaigns that we're sending some sort of gift or some sort of box to target accounts? 
-hmm. What are we going to do there? Mm -hmm. Are we going to do that once a quarter? What percentage of our resource is going to be dedicated to that? And then, you know, measurement, mm -hmm. which a lot of times the cool thing about measurement is the content team needs to know what they need to measure and they need to know what they're going to do based on the feedback they get. They don't have to be the ones actually doing the thing. And that's something a lot of writers, especially, I think from my experience and from talking to a lot of writers, writers are creatives. There's a reason that they got into that field. A lot of writers are scared of numbers and data and analytics. And I'm here to say it is possible to grow your career Mm -hmm. If you're a little scared of analytics, because you just have to know what you need to see, you need to have the right people that can pull the data for you into dashboards using tools like Domo, and you need to know how to interpret that data and make better decisions, but you don't have to be the one to be in the software, setting up the dashboards, Doing pulling that, the data yourself. Yeah. And I think yeah, that absolutely. misunderstanding holds a lot of creatives back from rising in an organization when it really shouldn't. Mm. Brilliant. Wow. So brilliant. Actually, I would, I would, you know, listen to this recording again and take notes again, because this was a lot <laughs> of, lot of Gyan, you know? <laughs> so Gyan, I don't think Aaron knows Gyan. Knowledge. Gyan is, no, yeah, Gyan is like a Indian slang for knowledge. Yes. Sanskrit. Oh. It's a Sanskrit slang for knowledge, like insights, deep insights is called Gyan. And it is usually given by gurus, like the teachers. Love it. That's cool. I learn something new every day. Awesome. Erin, uh, I wanted to ask you one thing. You spoke about measurement in the last sentence. So how exactly do you measure the success of your content? So ultimately it comes down to your, your business motion, right? So if you're sales led, mm -hmm. maybe it's, are you driving hand raisers to request a demo? And mm -hmm. are those the right hand raisers? Are those actually converting to a sales qualified, qualified. opportunity, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Am I driving all the wrong people to request a demo and it's never going anywhere? Then that's mm -hmm. not great. But if I'm driving the right people and it's working out and they're converting, okay, then I'm doing a good job. Mm -hmm. I'm making mm -hmm. sales easier. Or if you're, you know, have a freemium or a free trial, it's driving mm -hmm. product signups. Am I driving mm -hmm. enough product signups? And hmm. content is usually involved as well in getting those trial users, those freemium users to become paid users. So hmm. are we helping to, you know, convert people there as well? If you're partner led, hmm. is content driving partners to sign up to become partners? Because that's the ultimate snowball effect. Mm -hmm. So I would say those are my three uh, big metrics. You know, of course you can mm. say pipeline at the end of the day. Yeah, mm. of course, marketing should be driving pipeline, but I mean, mm. we're, our goal is to get the right people yeah. to sales, yeah. if it's sales led, or to get the right partners to raise their hand to become a partner, to get the right mm -hmm. people into the product and to get them to become paid users. Yeah. 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 Hey, okay. uh, Crispino, we have been discussing about this top of the funnel and bottom of the funnel. Is the time right to ask this question? Yes, yes, it is. Okay. So Erin, uh, you know, uh, for a while we have been, you know, pushing out content on our blogs and, you know, other channels. And then I keep asking Crispino, Hey, um, when would the leads start coming in? So <laughs> then Crispino, you know, talked to some of the experts like yourself and, you know, he came back to me and he said, you know, 
we are writing a lot of top of the funnel content we need to write more of the bottom of the funnel content now now he has been repeating this for some time and i asked him <laughs> the same question what is bottom of the funnel and i understand what's top of the funnel but what is bottom of the funnel so can you shed some light on that i mean we are completely lost there yeah no so we're getting leads tonalesh i wouldn't say that but yeah <laughs> go for it <laughs> okay maybe prispino knows that he has figured it out but i haven't so would love to hear your we've opinion been, on that we've been getting some leads from blogs so i wouldn't say we're completely lost there but yeah i mean surely erin can share some insight on that yeah 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 so awareness essentially i think of it like Well, top of funnel, I think of it like awareness. So these are people yeah. who they're not, they don't have their wallet out. They're not like actively looking to purchase a solution, but they're interested in a topic. And I actually hmm. was looking at your website and let's see, I, I saw one that I thought was a good example of a top of funnel. So for example, top six, top six places to work from when working remotely. That hmm. is a top of the funnel blog post for people in your yeah. audience hmm. that work yeah. remotely, especially if they're digital nomads or especially if they like live in a city in a small apartment and they're going stir crazy and they want to know where they can go work remotely and they're, you know, you know, other than a cafe, like maybe you hmm. have some good suggestions. That's yeah. a topic hmm. that's interesting to me. That has mm-hmm. nothing to do with me having intent to purchase, right? Yeah. I'm not considering mm. you. It has nothing to do with your company or your offer. It's just an interesting mm. topic to me. Yeah. So mm. if you start getting that kind of interesting content in front of me, mm. in places where I spend time, I'll start mm. to say, "Oh, this company wish up." Okay. And I probably won't think much of you. I might not even go on your website and see what you even do at this point. Mm. Mm. However, your name's going to be familiar to me. And then maybe mm-hmm. someday down the road if I hear someone say something about Wishup I'm like, "Oh yeah, I know that company. Oh yeah, they mm-hmm. put out that cool content on remote work. Let me check them out." And then mm-hmm. I'm starting to do my own self-discovery and I'm pushing myself mm-hmm. down deeper in the funnel, right? Mm-hmm. So middle mm-hmm. of the funnel content. I think of that work consideration. So you move from awareness to consideration. So for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. I've already read 10 of your blogs. I've been following you on social. Somebody mentioned your name. I heard you on a podcast and now I'm like, mm-hmm. let me check out this company. And this is where you start mm-hmm. to see sometimes direct traffic if you're looking mm-hmm. at Google Analytics. Yeah. 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 And now I'm going and I'm checking out some of your other content. And I see this other blog that seems pretty interesting to me. It's a step-by-step guide how to hire a virtual assistant for your business. And I'm like, mm-hmm. "Oh, that's interesting because I run a business and I'm bogged down. I'm busy. Let me check this out, right?" Mhm. I'm not saying I'm ready to hire I'm ready to hire one today, but I'm just trying mm-hmm. to explore the topic. I'm considering okay. maybe hiring okay. a virtual mm-hmm. assistant, not today. Mm-hmm. I'm not making mm-hmm. a decision. Mm-hmm. Then bottom of the funnel is like decision. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know I need to hire a freaking virtual assistant today or I'm going to lose my mind. The pain is real. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is when you get the bottom of funnel content. That is when I'm deciding if I want to use you or mm-hmm. your three competitors. Okay. And that is content that's going to aid me in my decision. What could be an example of that? Um a competitor blog. So, you know, comparing mm-hmm. Wishup versus one of your competitors. Okay. And that might be something I might stumble upon organically. That might be mm-hmm. something that you target to me. That might be something mm-hmm. that if you knew that I made some sort of search query 
and I was searching for a competitor. Now, maybe you're going、mm-hmm. to serve up an ad to me about you, and maybe the ad、okay. isn't just a basic ad. Maybe you're actually serving me up a content piece that's like this competitor that you just searched for versus Wishup. Hmm. Because you already、it. know I'm trying to make my decision. You know that I'm in the decision phase. So, com- you know, comparison with competitors is one type of bottom of the funnel content. Okay, that's new for me. Did you know that, Crispino? It's already in the works, Nilesh. It's already okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> but you know, are there any other examples where bottom of which which is bottom of the funnel? For example, comparison with competitors. What else could be a bottom of the funnel? A lot of times, bottom of the funnel comes into play during the sales process. So it would be sales、mm-hmm. enablement content.、Mm-hmm. If you're sales led, content that、mm-hmm. you can give your reps to help close the deal. Maybe、mm-hmm. it would be. I mean, I've done some really interesting sales led content. Interactive pages, so pages that are based on industry, and I'll have a case study at the top, and it'll be like,、mm-hmm. here's someone in your industry with your same problem, and then you can、mm. click through. You can read some、mm-hmm. data points. You can read some features about the software. You can compare us against two other competitors, all in one、mm-hmm. place in this interactive page. That's like an example、mm-hmm. of what you can do with the funnel、mm-hmm. content. Got it. So case studies come. Com- competition comparison. Okay, got it. Yeah, and the reason I kind of hate the idea of the funnel, and I said it's antiquated, is because in the past, like the company was in control. We would tell、mm-hmm. people here, like you're going to fill out this form, and you're going to get into this nurture, and we're going to sh- like jam <laughs> this down your throat until you say yes. And yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, like the power is in the hands of the consumer. You know,、mm-hmm. there's a shift toward my friend Ashley Foss. She says the content playground, like you're creating this playground of content, so that people explore on their own terms. And a lot of times,、mm-hmm. like in the past, when someone would come on a demo, they like, you know, they wanted to learn all about the product. They didn't know anything. Now they know everything. They don't want to、mm-hmm. hear your like sales pitch. They just want to、mm-hmm. like see the product in action and just make、yeah. sure that it's going to work for them. Got it. Hey, Erin, you you talk you keep. Saying that you know, funnel is a very antiquated concept, you know, and you know that this always reminds me of、uh, what HubSpot has been marketing for some time. You know, they say, "Hey, funnel is old. Let's talk about the flywheel." W- what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I love the concept of the playground. When I heard that, that totally resonated with me, and especially my、mm-hmm. own buying habits. Because、mm-hmm. I mean, I don't like to be forced into anything. I'm like very,、mm-hmm. you know, strong-willed, independent. Like, don't tell me what to do. Don't force me to have this journey that I don't want to have. Like,、mm-hmm. just be there. Put out good、mm-hmm. content. I'll consume it when I feel like on my own、mm-hmm. schedule. And、mm-hmm. I think that's how people are these days. Yeah, yeah. No, but have you heard about the concept of flywheel? Like, you know, like your consumers、yeah. bringing in more consumers. Yeah, that's the whole concept of. <clears throat> The whole GTM team working as one unit, right? So in the past, it was very siloed. You had your siloed marketing team. Then there、yes. was a, a big delineation between marketing to sales, right? And then a big、mm-hmm. delineation between once they become a paying customer, then they're、yeah. handed off to customer success. And now、yeah. it's not like that, right? So now it's all about working together as a flywheel、mm-hmm. because the customer、mm-hmm. journey doesn't end when they become a customer. You're constantly、mm-hmm. trying to create new value、True. so that. They're expanding. You're using a landing and span motion. You're putting them back into the sales cycle, and so of、yeah. course you're also、yeah. thinking about how your customers can become your evangelists and start creating user-generated、yeah. content, and that really helps you go even faster. Got it. Awesome. So, Erin, just a final question:、uh, like, how long does it take on average? 
to see results from your content like to get leads once an article is out say it's distributed uh like is there any average time that you can set on uh, when you can start seeing results i don't know i think it would probably depend on how expensive your product is how long your sales cycle is mm. how many people are on the buying team how big of an ask it is i mean am i popping mm. down a credit card to pay 10 dollars a month to try a software I mean, I could find out about you today and try you today. That's not a very big investment on my behalf. If I'm working mm. with a, you know, enterprise client and this product is $750,000 a year and it's going to require mm. your IT to buy in to make this change mm. to get all like, you know, 30,000 employees onto this new software, that sales mm. cycle might be a year. I might have to involve the procurement department. I might need to get all of this buy-in and approval. So, mm. Very Even true. if the very first touch to the time that you request a demo and say, "Yeah, I want to learn more," that mm. that might happen relatively soon. But by the mm -hmm. time content finishes, doing the job to assist in the sale, that could be a mm. year or more. So mm -hmm. it's hard to say. Um, you know, with reports, I've seen leads come in as soon as like a month. after a report mm. goes live but i've also seen leads continue to come in for up to 2 years so it depends on the content wow. piece and the longevity of a content piece mm -hmm. when you say report what exactly did you mean by the report erin uh, so a report is when you're publishing original data so proprietary data and using it to tell a story mm. so there's different mm. ways you can do that you could conduct Got a survey it. you could survey your own list you could survey yeah. a cold audience you could yeah. get data insights from your software and use those to mm. tell a story there's like all different ways of doing it but i call that just a research report mm. Mm. that's a very interesting thing relation working on the case study yeah. uh, we can use a kind of a report format for that yeah this is yeah. a good idea i have a i have a question erin probably we should have asked this question uh, early on in the in the beginning of the podcast so when did when did you get into this and when did you decide that you want to focus on this field uh which is content, content. marketing yeah oh god so i know i look really young but i'm actually in my 40s uh so i spent my whole 20s working in education okay and when i was 30 i started a blog just cuz i always loved to write and i was always good at it i was like the high school newspaper editor and all that so started a blog came home from my 9 to 5 wrote and then i used that to land my first job as a magazine editor mm -hmm. worked yeah. with editorial for like i don't know 4 years or so and then somehow randomly applied to a job at a content marketing agency i was like oh they need someone with management experience who's an editor that's me i don't know what the hell content marketing is but i'll try it and luckily they gave me a chance and they hired me to manage a 15 person team so 15 writers and i just kind of got wow. thrown overboard sink or swim and i fell in love with content marketing and i've been doing it ever since nice awesome. so it, it's awesome. more of serendipity it happened by chance actually yes exactly i just wanted a job and i was <laughs> like hey what's this content marketing thing this sounds cool cool yeah <laughs> yeah that's pretty good awesome yeah. we learned a lot from you erin yeah i think uh This session was really good, and our listeners and viewers also will get to learn a lot because we have many companies that are also uh, into the same phase of content marketing. Hmm. Our viewers, so I think this will be really helpful for them as well. 
Yeah, awesome. all all our all of our clients would love to hear this podcast. I'm sure they would love to hear this. <laughs> awesome. I have some free resources for anyone who's interested in content, particularly mm-hmm. B2B content and thought leadership. I have a newsletter and like you mentioned before a podcast. So, yes. welcome to follow along. Lots of good free education. I also am very active on LinkedIn publishing a lot of content about content. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, awesome. I'll put down the links to your podcast and your LinkedIn profile as well in the description for the episode. Also, yeah. we'll be having this as an article on the website, so anybody mm-hmm. who wants to read over there can come to the website and find you from there. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds great. All right. Thanks so much for your time, Erin. Yeah, thanks for Thank having you. me. This has been fun.